Amen. Amen. Didn't realize handbells could move like marching band. That was awesome. Uh, <laughs> what beauty and um, what a wonderful way for us to enter into a place of meditation and worship as we hear today from Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter, starting at verse 35. James and John, Zebedee's sons, came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want for you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want for me to do for you? He asked. They said, Allow one of us to sit on your right and the other on your left when you enter your glory. Jesus said, You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or receive the baptism I receive? We can, they answered. Jesus said, You will drink the cup I drink and receive the baptism I receive. But to sit at my right hand or left hand isn't mine to give. It belongs to those for whom it has been prepared. Now when the other ten disciples heard about this, they became angry with James and John. Jesus called them over and said, You know that the ones who are considered the rulers by the Gentiles show off their authority over them, and their high-ranking officials order them around. But that's not the way it will be with you. Whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you will be the slave of all. For the human one didn't come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life to liberate many people. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Oh, the allure of power. We have some great villains in our, uh, in our culture to picture grabbing power. I think about Scar in The Lion King, willing to kill his own brother and send off his nephew forever so that he could be the one to grasp the power, to grasp the kingdom. I think about Kylo Ren in the latest Star Wars movies, betraying the force of the Jedi that he was trained in and seeking to become the most powerful person ever in the universe. Think about Nate and Ted Lasso. If you haven't gotten to the end of this season, well, then you'll just have to see. But the best villains are the ones who seem normal. They could be you or me, but then the allure of power looks so shiny, it corrupts them and changes them entirely. In the passage today, we see that in God's kingdom, in the ways of this kingdom, that power first is received. Power is received. And James and John, right, they're attempting the power grab. They're trying to get the power. Jesus, teacher, buddy, old pal, do for us whatever we ask, won't you? Well, what do you want, guys? Jesus, allow both of us just to flank you in the kingdom, be on your right and your left, just like we have been during your whole ministry. Just all we want is the best seats in the house. And the way that they come to Jesus is really manipulative, right? You'll do for us anything we ask, Jesus, right? They're trying to get Jesus to commit to something even before he knows what he is committing to. We've never seen children do that to us. Never heard a thing like, well, if you really love me, you would dot, 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 right? In life, many people project power. They act like they are the powerful ones. They project an image of power out there. 
But no one starts off in life as a big deal. Other maybe than royal babies, no one is really a, made into a, a, a royal figure early. People genuinely worth following in life are the ones who never forget where they came from, even when they rise to power. James and John here want to project power. They want to have this position of the highest authorities in the kingdom. It's tempting to see James and John as the exception, like we would never do anything like this. But James and John are just trying to get theirs. They wanted to make sure that their preferred seats that they had had. Remember, James and John are the ones that go with Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration. They're the ones who are with him even at Gethsemane. Peter, James, and John seem to be like the three inside disciples who Jesus uh, has a special relationship with. They just want to keep, they want to keep their good seats when they get to the kingdom. It's tempting to say that only other people grab for power. I try to think about myself like this in a life of ministry and convince myself that only other people grab for power. After all, this life that I have as a person of the cloth is supposed to be a life of service, but oh, the allure of the big crowd or of thousands of people sharing my sermons or watching them on YouTube. If people would want me to come and be the person on their speaker circuit, the allure of power, or the one-upmanship that goes on from an early age, the older sibling who always tells the younger one that they can't do something yet. If you're an older sibling, you may remember doing this, and if you're a younger one, you know that your older one did. The coworker giving a sideways brag about how they've been trained to do something that you haven't yet. Jesus tells James and John, it belongs for those, the kingdom does, for whom it has been prepared. In other words, power cannot be grabbed or grasped in God's kingdom. Rather, power is received. True power, Jesus is saying, is not actively pursued. True power is passively received. So in God's kingdom, power is received, not grabbed, by service rather than selfishness. The other disciples hear about this power grab from James and John, and of course they're angry. It's not fair. Why should they be the ones to be on the left and right of Jesus? After all, they're all traveling with him and following him and devoted to the ways of God's kingdom. At least they should get a fair shake at the great seats of honor that, and then power that James and John are asking for. Jesus, can we at least have a lottery to determine these seats? Of course, Jesus turns this into a teaching moment then with all of the disciples, and it's quite a powerful one. And what he does right here is he presents the power reversal that happens in God's kingdom. He says, that's not the way it will be with you. Whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you will be slave of all. Now, at first glance, those two things seem to be the, saying the exact same thing. And to a certain degree, they are. But what Jesus is doing is even upping the ante from verse 43 to verse 44. He says, if you want to be great in the first verse, in the second one, he says, if you want to be first. Then in, in, in the previous verse, it says, you must be the servant. In the next verse, it says, you must be the slave, even. And in the verse before, he says, must be your servant. 
in the last one, he says, you must be the slave of all. So you want to be first, Jesus is saying, channel that ambition that you have, that desire that we all have somewhere in us for glory or for power or for greatness. And he says, channel that into service. Paul says in Romans 12, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. I've married two couples over the past two weekends. It was a busy little season. And here's my personal secret to marriage. Maybe this will get spread all over the internet, right? Here's the deal. Serve each other. If both people are trying to outdo one another in showing honor, then the marriage works. That's it. That's all you need. Marriage is a picture of God's kingdom life. When people in a community are concerned with serving each other, then the community's life works. When people are trying to be in charge, are trying to grab power, when there is selfishness at the root, then there is turmoil, both in a marriage, in any relationship, in a church community, in society, right? But if people are outdoing one another in showing honor and in serving the other, then it works. Kate Bowler is someone who I talk about a fair amount and who I read from. And uh, in her Everything Happens project, I was looking at it this week, and there's four values that are listed. The first value that they describe on there is kindness. I want you to hear the definition of kindness that she offers. Kindness is a love enacted purely for the good of others preserving their dignity with quiet strength under the rubric of an unspoken permission to be human and as yet unperfected. We seek to be lavish in our kindness, knowing that it will be mistaken for weakness. Kindness is a love enacted purely for the good of others. That's service. That's impossible to be selfish when we are acting on behalf of the good of others. That's the kind of kingdom life that Jesus is calling us to. I was at the grocery store a few weeks ago, and I saw a manager-type person because uh, he had the sweater vest instead of just the shirt, and, and he had the, the radio thing, and he was training another guy of how to be a grocery store manager. And in the produce section, uh, there was like a spill of some vegetables or something like that. And I saw him point to the other manager in training at those vegetables see that they were a problem, and then call on the radio to get one of the few other workers to come and pick it up, right? Now, in some ways, right, the manager can't do all of the little things that the other folks are supposed to be doing on the floor, but at the same time, it would take a lot less time and effort for that that guy to get down and bend over and pick up the darn vegetables himself, right? He was demonstrating in that very place what Jesus is talking about when he says the the you know the ones who are considered the rulers by the Gentiles show off their authority over them and their high-ranking officials and order them around. So in God's kingdom, power is received, it's not grabbed, by service and not selfishness. And power then is shared, not dominated. When I was in Israel, the summer after I finished college in 2007, we would cross from Israel into Palestinian territory in our coach bus. And three armed guards with very large guns, like lots of guns and lots of ammunition, would all of a sudden step onto the bus and they would walk up and down the aisle. I don't know if they were actually looking for anything or just trying to intimidate the tar out of us, but every time it happened, the intimidation worked. Uh, 
we're not as used to seeing those large, large guns just right out on the street all of the time here in the States. And, and so, so they're, they're walking through. We were silent as they walked through and checked us out, and it was very intimidating and to a certain degree felt very violating in that space. Power was used as a dominating force here. It's like Jesus talks about when the rulers of the Gentiles show their authority and lord it over them. I think about that boss or manager who stays behind their desk when the employee walks in, making sure the employee is standing while they sit behind the big desk, step into my office, they might say. Power is domination in this way. I've been listening recently to a podcast about the story of a megachurch leader that went very bad. This leader was a bad character in many ways, but his desire for power especially was extremely dangerous. In one of the quotes that kind of circled around this guy that he had said at multiple places. He said, there's a pile of dead bodies behind our church's bus, and by God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. You either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. That's power gone bad, right? That's power that is not seeking to serve, uh, but is seeking selfishness at all costs. It's power that is not shared, but is being used as a dominating force. In the final verse of this section, which I think not just closes up this little story and incident about James and John, but also a lot of Jesus' teaching on the kingdom to this point that we've been reading about. Jesus says, the human one didn't come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life, to give his life, to liberate many people. I think Jesus is saying in God's kingdom, power looks like this. Power is laying ourselves down. Power is dying for someone. When 1 John reflects upon, upon the gospel of John and the life of Jesus, he says, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So how, how do we do it? How do we live this life of service, of not, of not being selfish? How do we not grasp power, but receive the power of the kingdom of God? Kindness is a love enacted purely for the good of others. So we commit ourselves to the humility of God's kingdom. We check ourselves and how we respond to others and how we not just do intentional things throughout our days, but also how we respond in those moment-to-moment, person-by-person relational aspects and commit ourselves to God's kingdom, to that way where power is received by service and is shared. Let it be so. Amen.